How many of you know that you're getting older? How many of you are aware that you're getting older? <laughs> You've probably heard some of these things, but I'll read a few out to you. See whether any of you identify with these. I certainly do. You know you're getting older when, when your doctor doesn't give you x-rays anymore, but just holds you up to the light. <laughs> when an attractive woman catches your eye and your pacemaker opens the neighbor's garage door. When you remember when the Dead Sea was only sick. <laughs> When you and your teeth don't sleep together anymore. When your idea of a night out is sitting on the patio. It's a great night out, that is. When happy hour is a nap. You're getting older when... This has happened to me. When you step off a curb and you look down one more time to make sure the street is still there. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You are really getting older, aren't you? When the idea of weightlifting is just standing up. That's kind of weightlifting. (laughs) When you look both ways before crossing a room. When your ears are hairier than your head, you know you're getting older. And um, I've been thinking a little bit about this recently as well, because you kind of do get stage of your life when you are aware that you're getting older. And uh, one of the things that I'm really aware of as I'm getting older is life is short, isn't it? And our series, Life is Not a Dress Rehearsal, and as I've been looking at this every week, like you have as well, every week, week in, week out, as it came towards this last week, the phrase that kept coming around my head was, life's too short. Life is too short. And so I went on um, the internet, as you do, because that's where every good idea comes from. And I went on Google, and I Googled in life's too short. And here's some things that people say, life's too short uh, to whatever. So Paris Hilton, great theologian of our time, she says, life's too short to blend in. Don't be boring, always dress cute. That's why I thought I'd do that thing with the, the thing over there. That's what she says, great words of wisdom there. Other people say things like this, life's too short to date cheap men. Life's too short to live on low-fat anything. Life is too short to remove the USB safely from the computer. Do you know what I'm on about? I think life's way too short to do that, to be honest. I just pull it straight out. Life's too short to learn German, apparently. Sorry if you're German. This is what people say. Life is too short to try to match up your odd socks. What's that about with odd socks? What is that about? And here's one I thought was really good. Life's too short to be reading quotes about life being too short. <laughs> but there was one quote that really caught my interest and my, uh, my eyes when, when I looked at this, and it's this one. Life is too short. Grudges are a waste of perfect happiness. Laugh when you can, apologize when you should, and let go of what you can. So that piece of junk in your hand, that piece of paper, I want you to take it in your hand just for a moment. Would you do that? And the phrase that I want us to think about this morning is this, life's too short to hold on to your junk. Life's too short to hold on to your junk. And you know what? Joseph knew this better than most. I mean, our boy has come a long way, hasn't he, from five weeks ago. This 17-year-old, young, arrogant uh, teenager that God gave a dream to, and his father uh, pampered him and gave him a coat, a robe, a royal robe like that, a a foreshadowing of what's going to happen in the future. And then he's taken and he's stripped and he's put in a pit and then he's, he's sold into slavery and he ends up in Potiphar's house where he's falsely accused. Okay, he does nothing wrong and he's falsely accused, but his character is beginning to grow and develop. But he goes from one bad situation to another and all the time his character is getting better. And then he ends up finally in a prison for two years and he gets forgotten in prison, but then eventually he gets liberated from prison and he comes into a position of royal influence where he's dressed in, guess what, royal robes. He's come a long way. And he knows better than most that life's too short to hold on to your junk. 
And what happens to him in the end bit of the story we're going to look at uh, today is this. Firstly, the dream that God gave him all those years ago finally comes to pass. And secondly, the past which has shaped and defined him finally gets healed. How do you know that's a great thing, isn't it? Wouldn't that be amazing if what God has spoken to us actually comes to pass and the past that shaped and defined us and damaged us and hurt us finally gets a chance to be healed. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Life is not a dress rehearsal. And this story, the story that I want to engage you with this morning, is played out on three different stages. You imagine like a theatre stage. If you go to the RSC in Stratford, they've got three theatre stages, okay? The main one, the swan, and then the courtyard. Three different stages. I want you to picture that in your mind. Stage number one is Joseph's story. So we read it in the text. It starts for us in Genesis 42, where there's a famine in the land of Canaan. And Jacob says to his sons, listen, I've heard that in Egypt... In Egypt, they've got loads of food. So he sends his sons, or 10 of them anyway, down. Joseph's dead, according to him. Benjamin, he keeps behind. He sends the other 10 down to Egypt. And they, ha- they end up in the court of the Pharaoh. And they end up face to face with Joseph. Now, Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him for two reasons. Firstly, it's been a long time since they've seen him. But secondly, not only is he dressed in royal Egyptian robes, but he's wearing royal Egyptian makeup. Which I didn't do that this morning. I thought that was a, a step too far, I thought, this morning. <laughs> and so he's wearing this makeup, and so they don't recognize him. And he's now speaking in Egyptian, not in Hebrew. So there's this whole interaction between them. And then what happens is that he invites them to a great banquet. And amazingly, he seats them in age order. You'd think that then they would start to think, hang on a minute. How does this guy know who's the eldest? And he sits them in age order. And then there's a whole series of tests that he does with them. And so he says, actually, one of your sons, Benjamin, is back there. You need to bring him down here. So I'm going to take one of your sons and hold him hostage till you take the other and bring him down. Then he puts some money in sacks. And then later on, he puts a silver cup in a sack. And it seems like he's doing all this teasing with his brothers. But he's not teasing them. He's testing them. Because what he wants is his brothers to come to a place of genuine repentance. That's a really old word. It means being sorry for what we've done and turning and going in a completely different direction. He doesn't want just a simple little forgiveness reconciliation thing he wants a full deal and they need to come to a place where they recognize what they've done wrong so he's not teasing them he's testing them to bring them to a place finally in the story and I love the story so much he reveals himself he, the Bible says he can't like contain it any longer and in Hebrew he cries out I am Joseph and they are shocked <laughs> and their shock turns to fear and anxiety Why are they so fearful? Well, you know, unresolved guilt will always lead to magnified anxiety. Do you know that? Unresolved guilt will always lead to magnified anxiety. And you see, unresolved guilt is like junk that we hold on to in our life. And these brothers are holding on to this junk. And perhaps they pressed it down. Perhaps they switched it off. And they thought, oh, well, Joseph's dead. He's gone. It doesn't matter. It's all gone in the past. But deep down, that guilt is unresolved. They might not think about it much years later. But when they're face to face with Joseph, all of a sudden this guilt comes out in magnified anxiety. And they're fearful. They are really, really fearful. You got any unresolved guilt in your life? You got anything that you've buried and pressed down that sometimes doesn't, you know, gnaws away at you and you press it down. Occasionally then it even comes up out perhaps in your sleep. 
causes you not to sleep well. Reminds me of a story I heard years ago about a guy who was filling his tax return and, and, and he falsified some of it and sent, sent it off. And then he felt really guilty. He was a Christian. He felt really guilty and, and couldn't sleep. And so he wrote a letter to HMRC. He said, DHMRC, and um, didn't know their name, obviously. <laughs> said, um, I can't sleep and, and I haven't declared uh, some money. So I want to give you. And I, he sent a check for £150. He said, I, I should have declared this and I didn't. So I sent it to you so I can sleep better. P.S. If I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. Which is not, not quite what I'm talking about here this morning. But that unresolved guilt creates a magnified sense of anxiety. Finally, though, there's the fulfillment of the dream. Because then when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and they realize who it is, they all bow down to him eventually. Benjamin comes as well and all 11 bow down to him. And there is the fulfillment of the dream that was given to him when he was 17. And then he says, now go send for your father. And so Jacob comes and there's this amazing, beautiful reunion between father and the son who he thought was dead. And Joseph says, I'm going to look after you all. You're my family. And so they settle in Goshen in Egypt and they settle there. And then over the years to come, they begin to grow into a vast nation. And fast forward a few hundred years and Moses, the guy called Moses you may have heard about, he then ends up leading this vast nation now of, of Israelites out of Egypt and towards the promised land. It's an amazing, amazing story. But there's a second stage to this. This is not really about Joseph's story. This is about your story and my story. Perhaps you're like the brother's Perhaps you're like the brothers this morning that you are carrying some junk which is unresolved guilt. And it may be over something you've done. It may be something towards God. It may be something towards somebody else. It may be something in your past. And unresolved guilt always magnifies anxiety. I want to tell you this morning, folks, life's too short to hold on to your junk. Life is too short to hold on to your junk. God is not shocked by anything that you've done. He knows it anyway. And God says to you this morning, this is a great opportunity for you to begin the process of getting rid of your junk. If you've got unresolved guilt, I want to encourage you to get rid of your junk. But perhaps you're more like Joseph. So some of you might be like the brothers this morning. You need to get rid of your guilt. But perhaps for many of us, we're more like Joseph. We're actually what we need to get rid of. The junk that we're holding on to is the hurt and the bitterness caused to us by other people. How many of you have ever been hurt by anyone else? Of course we have, all of us. And, so, and often we can get rid of that and we can deal with that. Sometimes so painful and so difficult that we just can't find it within ourselves to release that person, to let go of the junk and the hurt and the bitterness. A writer by the name of Anne Lamott, she was a Christian writer, author, she says this, I went around saying for a long time that I am not one of the Christians who is heavily into forgiveness. I'm one of the other kind. But even though it was funny, she says, and actually true, it started to be painful to stay this way. And then she says this, listen to this. In fact, not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. Not forgiving is like me drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. Because when you don't forgive, who you hurt is you. When I don't forgive, who I really hurt is not the other person, it's me. What I'm doing is I'm drinking the rat poison and waiting for the rat, as in me, to die. Now I know this morning that this is a really difficult subject for many of us. But I want to tell you this. It is possible to forgive totally. Totally. It's not easy. It's not easy. But it's possible. But you can only do that, I believe, 
when you allow God to give you his grace, his forgiveness, his power in order to do that. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And uh, the band are going to sing a song to you this morning. And uh, we found this song. And Vicky's going to come and sing it. She found this song. It's a song called Forgiveness, written by Matthew West. And just while the band are getting ready and getting in position, girls, you can come up as well. I want to just give you the background to this because it's so important. So we found the song. We liked the song. We thought, oh, that's a really great song for this morning. But what takes it to another level is when you hear the story behind the song. So it's Matthew West Forgiveness. If you Google it, you can find it. Okay, there's a YouTube video of five minutes. It gives you the background to the story. And the story goes like this. Matthew West says, he says, I came across, it's an American singer. I came across a story. And it's a story of a woman called Renee. And Renee had four daughters. And two of them were twins. And one of the twins was on her way back from a party with another friend. When, when she, and he says, my daughter, this is what Renee says, my daughter and her friend were both hit by a car driven by a drunk driver. And they were both killed instantly. His name was Eric, and he was sentenced to 22 years in prison for what he did. He said, I began then traveling around and talking to people about the dangers of drink driving. She says, but I'm a Christian, and during this process, I felt God say to me that something was missing in what I was communicating, and that's the power of forgiveness. And so bit by bit, not overnight, she began to kind of find within herself the ability to forgive this guy, Eric, and she went to visit him in prison, and she told him she would forgive him. Bit by bit, every, all the members of her family also began to forgive Eric as well. In fact, it got so much that they all went to the courts and they pleaded on his behalf to have his sentence commuted, sentence changed, and his sentence was cut in half. They said, because we wanted Eric to have another chance to live a different kind of life. The story goes that Eric became a Christian and gave his life to Jesus because of the wealth, because just because the amount of forgiveness and grace that came back to him. And so now Renee still travels and she talks about the danger of drink driving and the power of forgiveness. And it may be this morning that some of you are carrying hurt and bitterness, which is so deep and so painful that you think, I could never, ever let this go. You can because of God. The song's called Forgiveness. Wow, what a powerful song. And if you Google that and you just see the, the story there of, the, of that woman, that's not just a great song. You know, that's come out of a real story, a real situation where someone was enabled to do the impossible, to love the unlovable, uh, only through the power of forgiveness. So how do you know when you've totally forgiven somebody? And I want to say right from the start of this bit, this is a journey that you'll end up at, not where you'll start at. So for some of you, and uh, you know, whether you're a Christian or not, or not, you've been hurt by someone, perhaps you've been through a marriage breakup, or you've had a difficult parent situation, or, or a boss, or whatever. And you think the scale of this, that you're asking me to totally forgive somebody, the scale of it is too high. I want to give you a picture of where you can end up at, not where you start. Now you start by making a step, and I'll give you the opportunity to make that step here today. But this is when you know that you have totally forgiven someone. Let me give you five things out the story of Joseph. Number one, when you don't want anyone else to know what they did to you. Look at Genesis 45 verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. Now just picture this. Okay, Someone's hurt you. What do you want more than anything else? Okay, You want to give them a smack on the nose. I know that. But also, you want other people to know that they hurt you. But when you've totally forgiven someone, you clear everyone else out. And it's just between you and them and God. No 
Facebook allowed. This is not going on Facebook. It's not going on Twitter. This is just between me and you and God. That's how you know you've totally forgiven someone. Secondly, when you want them to feel at ease. Verse 3 and 4, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. Isn't that beautiful? Come close to me. You're the guys who stripped me down to nakedness and threw me in a pit. Who sold me into slavery for coins. Who allowed me to be wrongly accused and falsely imprisoned. Come close to me. Wow. Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. The Hebrew verb here for come close doesn't just refer to spatial proximity. It refers to intimacy. The idea behind it is come close to me so I can embrace and kiss you. You don't ever want to embrace someone that you haven't totally forgiven. Isn't that right? Oh yeah, well, I forgive you, but just stay away from me. You haven't totally forgiven them. But here's this thing, come close to me so that I can embrace and kiss you. Because he's totally forgiven them. And then in fact it goes on in verse 14 and 15. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. <laughs> I wonder what they talked about. There's this moment of incredible intimacy. Because Joseph is doing the impossible. He's loving the unlovable. He is reaching out with the power of forgiveness. Something else that can happen when you totally forgive someone is when you don't want them to feel bad anymore. And now, it says in verse 5, Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. See, so often we want to forgive, but we also want to really make that other person squirm, don't we? You know, we say, well, I'll forgive you, but not until you've really squirmed. But when you totally forgive, you don't want them to squirm. Reminds me of something that happened in my life, and I've told this story before, but some of you uh, won't have heard it. Is that many years ago now, I was in a situation where relationally there was a breakdown with me and somebody else, and this other person, uh, I think I probably wronged them a bit, but they really wronged me as well in some specific ways. And I felt, I found it really difficult actually to forgive them, even though I would speak on forgiveness. Deep down, I knew that I hadn't totally forgiven them. I tried making various steps. And there came a moment in, my, in that experience where I realized that what I needed to do was to pray for that person who'd hurt me. When you pray for someone who's hurt you, everything changes. Have you noticed that? Now, at first, my prayers were along the line of this. Dear God, okay, in a very posh English accent, that's not how I speak. Dear God, <laughs> you know that person that's hurt me really badly? Of course you do, because you're God. You know, I want to pray for them. Could you please send boils upon their body? Could you please? And, and, and so you begin to pray all that stuff, and you go, no, 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 that's, that's not what it means when you pray for someone who's hurt you. What you pray for someone who's hurt you is this. You pray for them what you would want God to do for you. So you pray for their family what you would want God to do for your family. You pray for their health what you would want God to do for your health. You pray for their finances what you would want God to do for your finances. You pray for their future what you would want God to do for your future. And I'll tell you this, when you do that consistently... You lose that kind of sense of wanting to make them squirm. You get to the stage where you can release them and forgive them because God has got involved in that process. And so it may be that for some of you this morning, you'll find it really difficult. You've tried and tried and tried to forgive someone. I encourage you, start praying for them. 
Start praying for them. And pray for them what you would want God to do for you. This is not about excusing what they've done for you. This is not about diminishing what they've done for you. This is not about denying what they've done to you. This is about you choosing to release them totally and to forgive them. Because if you don't, guess which rat is going to die? It will be you. And Joseph does that with his brothers. And then the fourth thing about how you know whether you've totally forgiven someone is this. When you make it easy for them to forgive themselves. So Joseph explains, for two years now there's been famine in the land, in verse 6. And for the next five years there'll be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve, to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. And let me say really clearly, he's not minimizing what they've done. Okay, later on, we'll see this later on. He says, you meant it for harm. What you did was evil and wicked. Okay, so we're not minimizing it at all. It was wrong. But there's another perspective at work. Actually, God was at work in my life. So don't worry. Don't feel bad about it because God knew what he was doing. Okay, God knew what he was doing. And greatness lies in being able to endure harsh treatment without resentment. Oh, I'm so far away from that, aren't you? Greatness lies in being able to endure harsh treatment from others without resentment and without bitterness. So, so, so let me, before I give you the last one, when you don't want anyone else to know what they did to you, when you want them to feel at ease, when you don't want them to feel bad, when you want to make it easy for them to forgive themselves, and finally, when you keep what they did hidden from the person that means the most to them. See, when Jacob turns up, Joseph doesn't tell his father what they did to him. He never knew. And to me, that is someone who's totally forgiven these guys because he keeps that, that real sin, that real offense, that real pain from the person that means the most to them from their dad. And I think that is absolutely amazing. So is there someone that you need to forgive? Is there someone you need to forgive today? You say, oh, I could never get to that. We'll begin today, the process today. Go on a journey towards total forgiveness. It may not come instantly, okay? But you could begin that journey today because life's too short to hold on to your junk. Life is too short to hold on to your junk. Now, what is forgiveness not? It's not excusing that behavior. It's not forgetting what they've done. You know, people say, oh, you know, forgive and forget. I don't think that's realistic at all. I think if someone's hurt you, you're going to remember it. But it's how you remember it and what it's doing to you that's important. So it's not about forgetting. It's not even necessarily about reconciling. This was Joseph forgave them and reconciled to them. Sometimes it's, appropriate, it's always appropriate to forgive. Sometimes it's not appropriate to reconcile. If you've been through a marriage uh, breakup or something, it can be totally appropriate to forgive, but it's not necessarily appropriate to have a relationship of any sort necessarily. Forgiveness and reconciliation are different things. Okay? So it's not the same as reconciliation. Forgiving someone is releasing them from the hurt that they've done to you and releasing yourself from what it's doing to you and totally forgiving them is not the same as wanting to be reconciled. But in this case, Joseph does reconcile and he does forgive. But you might say to yourself, yeah, that's all very well, Leon, but you don't know what they did to me. You don't know how hard and painful it's going to be for me to do what Joseph did and forgive them totally. No, I don't. No, I don't. 
When I was um, uh, on my six weeks off uh, sabbatical, but just before Easter, uh, I reread a book that I'd read years ago called The Hiding Place. Anyone read The Hiding Place? Corrie Tembu. Can I just say for you, we're coming up to the summertime. It is the summertime, okay, now. Uh, if you're going around holiday and you take books with you to read, which I'm sure many of you do, we've got some fantastic biographies in the coffee shop for sale on some incredible people in history and modern and, and all Christian people. Really, really interesting. One of them is Corrie Ten Boom's biography, autobiography called The Hiding Place. I recommend you read it. It is amazing. Isn't a very long read? It is amazing. She was a, a, a Dutch Jew uh, in the Second World War who, with her family and her sister Betty, uh, were taken by the Gestapo and eventually put in a concentration camp. And she recounts uh, the way that God was with her in that prison, just a little bit like Joseph. She recounts the, br- the, the brutality and the harshness of the treatment that she endured and how her own sister died on, on, on a bed that was full of lice and flies and horrible stuff. And then she tells the story of after the war, she's in Germany and she's speaking at a Christian event and she notices a guy in the audience there who was one of the guards that abused and hurt her and her family. And he then become a Christian after the war. And so he came up to her after and he says, Fraulein, that was amazing. That was amazing that you said that isn't God good. And she began to talk to him about God and forgiveness and grace. And she recounted in a book that she was filled with intense hate towards this man. She didn't want to totally forgive him. She hated him. And everything within her is crying out, there's no way I can reach out to this man. But then, you know, she then thought, and I know this doesn't always happen like this, but she then thought about what God had done for her. And she says, well, you know what? Because of what God's done for me, I'm going to reach out my hand to this man. And she recounts in the, in the book how as she reached out her hand to shake his hand, her emotions changed as she began to do that. And God replaced that hate with a whole different emotion as she reached out with the power of forgiveness. She did the impossible because God enabled her to do it. And I don't know what your situation is, but God can enable you to do the impossible this morning. You can begin the process of getting rid of your junk and forgiving someone. They may never know about it. It's not what it's about. But you do and God does. And you can begin that process today. Life is too short to hold on to your junk. Just take that piece of paper in your hand and just screw it up a little bit, would you? Just make sure it's in your hand. Okay, now hold it. Because we haven't finished yet. Because there's another third story at work here. There's another third stage. It's not just Joseph's story. It's not just your story. But here we go. It's Jesus' story as well. You know that, don't you? This story is all about Jesus. There's a thing in the Bible called typology. Okay, It's a very big word, theological word. It basically means this. That there are certain characters and stories and events in the Bible And they're called types of Christ. In other words, they point to who Jesus would be and what he would do. And Joseph is one of the strongest types of Jesus in the whole of the Bible. It's amazing. He was loved by his father, but rejected by his own brothers, by his own people. He was abused and sold for silver coins. Sound familiar? He was falsely accused. He found himself with two prisoners. Sound a little bit familiar? Certain man found himself with two prisoners as well, didn't he? And so all of this is pointing towards Jesus. He went down and down and down and he was considered dead, but he was raised up and exalted. Sound familiar? And from that place of exaltation gives the incredible gift of grace and forgiveness to the people who would hurt him in the first place. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. 
And then I think this is incredible. There's over seven times between chapters 42 and, and chapter 50 when, when uh, Joseph meets his brothers and declares who he is. There's seven times when, when the Bible says that Joseph wept. He just wept over the people who had hurt him and abused him. Isn't that so similar to Jesus? That weeps over those who've hurt him. And then right at the end, there's a beautiful moment in the story where Jacob the father dies. And listen to what happens in Genesis 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So even though he'd totally forgiven them, when the father dies, all of a sudden, the unresolved guilt creates magnified anxiety. And they think, hang on a minute. I know he said he'd forgiven us, but I think he was only just saying that because dad was around. Now dad's died, what's going to happen? And he says, so they sent word to Joseph saying, and they made this up, your father left these instructions before he died. Yeah, right. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. He didn't say that at all. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Why did he weep? His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves. Listen, this is us. This is you and this is me and this is God. Joseph said, I forgave them totally. I gave them the gift of grace, but they don't believe it. To them, it's too good to be true. That's why he wept. And isn't it often like us that really deep down, we think it's too good to be true that God would forgive us and give us that grace and totally release us and just shower us with love. It's too good to be true. And we think in the back of our heads that one day God's going to smack us for what we've done. And so we live that kind of guilt, fear, relationship with God. Those of you who are Christians, those of you who are not Christians, you might think, how could God do that? And you think it's too good to be true. And you think like they did, you have to earn it because they said we're your slaves. So we'll earn it. But Joseph weeps because he says, you'll never earn it. I'm just going to give it to you. Because Joseph is a picture of Jesus. And I want to say to you this morning, life is too short to hold on to your junk. And you know what? Here's the thing. You will never receive the gift of grace while your hands are full of your own junk. Whether it's guilt and fear or whether it's hurt and bitterness. It's only as we release can we receive the gift of grace that God has for us. And then, and just what I, this is the most beautiful verse in the Bible to me, one of them. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. Isn't that amazing? That's Jesus. Do you know that? That's Jesus. And so I want to say to you this morning, we're going to come into a time of response and reflection, the end of our series together. Life's too short to hold on to your junk. And it may be this morning that you're not a Christian yet. You've never given your life to Christ. And you say, well, I haven't got any junk. Well, okay, but I think when we think about God and the perfection of God and the holiness of God, we have all got junk. And could it be this morning that you could take the step to get rid of that and say, God, I want to know you. And you could get rid of your junk so that you then have got open hands to receive God into your life. But it could be that you are a Christian this morning and actually you're a little bit more like the brothers and you, you've actually got some unresolved guilt and fear. 
And every time you feel you get close to God, that thing comes up and it magnifies anxiety. Oh, life's too short to hold on to it. You need to get rid of the rubbish. But it could be, and I think there's many of us here, that we're a lot like Joseph. And actually, we've got hurt and bitterness and unforgiveness. And today could be the day when we start the process of getting rid of the junk once and for all. And the person that we're doing it for and to is not me. It's not even this church. It's Jesus who loves us so much that he weeps over us. That he, you know, he says, listen, I forgive you. I forgive you totally. You don't have to be fearful. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to be my slave. I forgive you totally. Just get rid of your junk. So could you scrunch that a little bit more in your hand? I'm going to ask the band to come back. I didn't know that this was the illustration that some of you guys used at Freedom in Christ, but that's how God works. He's amazing. You know that, don't you? So what we're going to do, is in a moment the band are going to sing and Gemma's going to sing over you for a little bit just while we respond to God this morning. But what I'm going to invite you to do is that junk that's in your hand, that's representative of your junk, whether it's guilt, like the brothers, or whether it's hurt and unforgiveness. And I'm going to ask you to begin the process of getting rid of your junk today. And all I'm going to ask you to do is come and just chuck it in the bin. That's it. Now, can I just say, if that's all you do, that's all it will be. But if this is a response that you say, this is a visible response of what I want to do and I'm prepared to do, then this will really help you today. And I believe that God will meet you and God will come in to that decision that you've made and help you and give you the power to do what you can't do on your own, but what he can do by his power. Why don't we stand together and let's pray. Why don't we stand? Because you see, after we've done this, we're going to take communion together. But it's totally inappropriate to take that before we've done that. Do you know what I mean? Those of you that are Christians, you know that. The Bible says that, you know, if you've got unforgiveness about someone, you know, don't be taking that. Get rid of that. Or if you've got guilt or fear, you know, don't just come and take that. Get rid of it there. So that's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to invite you in a moment as the band sing to come out and to chuck your junk in that bin. Because life is too short to keep a hold of your junk. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. This amazing story, Lord Jesus. Joseph's story is our story. And it's also Jesus' story. And God, I pray that as we enter into that today, God, would you by your spirit help us? Life's too short. Life's too short to go to the grave with unforgiveness and bitterness. None of us know how long we've got. That Renee, she didn't know her daughter was in her early 20s, I think, late teenager. She didn't know. None of us know. Life's too short to hold on to guilt and life is too short to hold on to hurt. So God, today, would you give us the grace and the power of your spirit as you call us close to yourself to let go of some of this stuff, let go of the junk so that our hands could be open to receive all that you've got for us today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.